Good morning. Good to see each one of you this morning. Welcome to WCF. We're so glad you're here this morning. Psalm 117 tells us why we're here this morning. It says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol Him, all you peoples. That includes all of us. For great is His love towards us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. That's why we should be praising the Lord, for His faithfulness endures forever, and great is His love. So I invite you to stand, and let's bless the Lord this morning, and uh, give Him our hearts and our souls afresh and anew. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. Worship His holy 
Take a moment, greet somebody next to you, and then you can be seated. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this offering and and the rest of our time. God, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've provided. The blessing that, that that we have particularly as a congregation here to live in a country where we can gather freely and worship you freely and study your word freely is amazing. The, the privilege that we have and the benefits that we have for food and for clothing and all of that, we are truly blessed. Lord, we would ask that uh, you would receive this offering as an acknowledgement of your blessing on our life. As we give back to you some of the first fruits of that which you've given to us. And Lord, as we get ready to study this passage here in, in Joshua 8, such an encouragement to know that, that you're always with us. We thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we ask that right now that, that you would fill our hearts with your presence and power and strength to worship the Holy God in spirit and in truth. May we honor you with our total being even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus reigns, I know. 
Yeah. 
going through our day. You are our source. You are more than enough when it comes to providing for our health and our resources. All that you faithfully give to us. How you walk every step with us. You are not just a God who is up there somewhere, but you are personally involved in our lives. And we rejoice in you today, God, because this is the day that you have made. And we will always rejoice in you and give you thanks and praise you for your great love and praise you for your faithfulness. How great is your faithfulness. Thank you. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. As we continue to learn the lessons that God has for us in traveling through Canaan. Have you ever had this thought pass through your mind? I feel like I'm a failure. Every single one of us, at some point in time in your life, are going to wrestle with that emotion. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I'm a failure because my marriage ended up in divorce. I feel like a failure because my kids are not walking with the Lord. I feel like a failure because I got fired from my job. 
I feel like a failure because I continue in a sin that I can't seem to get a hold of. This is one of the tools that Satan will use to destroy you. And sometimes people will feel like a failure, not because of their own action, but because of the actions of others. Because of the actions and decisions of other people that they are, they are brought into, not by their own choice or by their own action, but just they've become collateral damage as a result of the decisions of other people, has that ever been you? Where you go, wow, how do I recover from this? And all of the emotions that come with it, inadequacy, shame, discouragement, where you go, I don't know, I don't think I can do this. You know, you think about discouragement. The word discourage is the removal of courage. It's, it's what Satan will use to rob you of the ability to move forward. Robbing you of the ability to have courage to move forward with what God has for you. And discouragement will cause you to second-guess yourself. Have you ever second-guessed yourself? I just, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm qualified to do this. Or, who's going to want me? I just, I just can't do this. I, I can't go forward anymore with these things. It's this overwhelming, overcoming failure of failure. And, and when we think about this, failure is not the final word. In fact, overcoming failure really is a matter of simply making a correction that leads to success. Henry Ford, we all know him, made the cars said this, as an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Failure is an opportunity to begin again more intelligently. Took Thomas Edison a thousand unsuccessful attempts before creating the light bulb within this. When asked, would you quit if you failed 10,000 times, Thomas Edison answered and said, no. I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that, I won't, that it won't work. And so the question is, how do you change your failure into organized success to move forward? Proverbs 24.16 says this, For the righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in a time of calamity. Seven is the number of completion. It literally means this guy falls and falls and falls. But you know where the real failure is? It's not in the falling. It's in the not getting up. That's failure. Failure is not in, in, in making the mistake or, or, or going through calamity. Failure is not getting up and starting over. And the, the benefit that we have as Christ followers is... We have spiritual resilience that has been embedded into us by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. In fact, spiritual resilience is the ability to overcome any obstacle and gain victory over anything that Satan wants to throw at you. You know, the word is very clear. Greater is he that is in you than what? He that's in the world. 
the ability to overcome. And so within this, spiritual failure can defeat even the greatest believer within this. It'll separate you from the potential blessings that God has for you. When you walk around defeated, Satan wins. Why? Because you are defeated and the people that are watching you are defeated. If your God is not capable of bringing you out of this, then why should I trust in your God? And if you walk around defeated, then you don't get to experience the blessings that God has for you within this. Which brings us to Joshua 8. We last left Joshua defeated in Ai. Because of the sin of another man, Achan. It wasn't Joshua's sin. It was Achan's sin that infected the whole nation and they had their lunch handed to them. And God came to Joshua and said, look, there's sin in the camp and you've got to take care of this sin. I'm not going to bless you until you take care of that sin and get the sin out of the camp. Joshua did remove the sin. But what ends up happening between seven and eight is interesting. Because while Joshua had removed the sin out of the camp in, Josh, in, in Joshua 7, he had taken Achan and killed Achan and his family and, and everything and just put it under a heap, which is important. We'll see that today. There's still this silence between 7 and 8. Where Joshua is sitting going, I wonder if God is done with me now. I wonder if God has taken us out. If you remember in 7, Joshua said, when he didn't understand the sin, God, why did you bring us across the Jordan River just to kill us? See, he was defeated. I should have stayed over there and been content on the other side of the Jordan River and never come here. He was defeated. I made a mistake. Maybe I'm not the right guy for the job. And so he's sitting in this silence. But then we come to 8, where God speaks. Alexander White said this, The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. That's a powerful quote. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. Why is it a series? Because we are all failures. We will screw up. Or, we live in a world that is screwed up, and we become collateral damage as a result of that. Should we allow our our circumstances to cause us to sit, soak, and sour? Or should we start a new beginning? And the answer is, start a new beginning. So we want to be encouraged, and today, my hope is that, that you will be encouraged to know that God is never done with you. God doesn't give up. His hesed, His long-suffering is always with you. We're going to stand and we're going to read through Joshua 8. There's quite a few verses, 35 verses. One of the things that we're going to see at the end of this chapter is the reason why I have you all stand and we read through God's Word. And praise God, I'm not having you read through Deuteronomy. Joshua makes his people do it at the end, so you're good. But we do want to give place to the reading of God's Word. It's the priority and the authority that, that is over us. Joshua 8.1 Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. 
And see, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, this people, his city and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. And you shall take only its spoil, its cattle, its plunder for yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. And so Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. And he commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you that be ready. And then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out to meet us, as is the first, we will flee before them. They will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they're fleeing before us just as they at first. And so we will flee before them. And you shall rise up from your ambush and take possession of the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire. And you shall do it according to the word of the Lord. See, I've commanded you. Joshua sent them away and they went to the place of ambush, remained between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Now Joshua rose early in the morning, mustered the people, and he went up with the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And then all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near and arrived the front of the city, camped on the north side of Ai. And now there was a valley between him and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men, set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai, and on the west side of the city. And, and they stationed the people, all the army that was on the north side of the city and its rear guard on the west side of the city. Joshua spent that night in the midst of the valley came about when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose up early and went out to meet Israel in battle. He and all the people at a point place before the desert plain. And he didn't know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. And all the people who were in the city and were gathered together pursued them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. So not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who had not gone out after Israel, and they left the city unguarded and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that's in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And so Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly from their place, and when he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it. And they quickly set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai turned back and looked, behold, the smoke of the city ascended to the sky. And they had no place to flee this way or that. For the people who had been fleeing to the wilderness turned against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the men in the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and slew the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city to encounter them, and so that they were trapped in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and they slew them until no one was left alive, those who survived or escaped. But they took the king alive, the king of Ai, brought him to Joshua. And now when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai, 
in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them. And all of them were fallen by the edge of the sword until they were destroyed. Then all Israel returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. All who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000 all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not withdraw his hand and which he stretched out of the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of the city as plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap of desolation until this day. He hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua gave a command and they took his body down from the tree, threw it in the entrance of the city gate, raised over it a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord the God of Israel at Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no man had wielded iron tool, and they offered burnt offering to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. He wrote on the stones a copy of the law, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. All of Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark, before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as the native, half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim, the other half in front of Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. And then afterwards he read all the words of the law and blessing and the curses according to that was written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Aren't you glad we're not reading all of Deuteronomy? One of the things that that we find is a blessing in this, and this blessing is this. It's the blessings of restoration. God is a God of restoration. He is a God that wants to bring back those that are, are, are lost, those that are hurting, those that are separated. And there's many blessings that we're going to find in this passage in the blessings of restoration. So if you're one that takes notes or you don't normally take notes, today you do. Today you want to take notes because this is important for you to get. In verses 1 and 2, we find two specific blessings of restoration. It's the blessing of presence and the blessing of encouragement. In the blessing of restoration, God brings to you the awareness, brings you back to a place of being aware of His presence. When God seeks to restore, He wants you to know that He is here for you. And so out of the silence where He had disciplined the nation of Israel... He is bringing back His presence to Joshua to bring encouragement, to be able to know that. It's, it's, the sin has been removed and God is speaking. And as we talked about last week, the importance of removing that sin and removing that obstacle, when you remove sin and, and, and that obstacle of sin, then you can hear God clearly speak. But God's not going to speak as long as you're entertaining sin in your life within that. And he comes back to him and he says, the Lord said, and notice the beginning of the words. What? Do not, what? 
fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. That tells us what was going on in Joshua's heart. Fear and discouragement. Because God says in a prohibitive statement, stop being fearful. Stop being discouraged. He's addressing Joshua's emotions. It was a common phrase that was used throughout Scripture. Whether it was Abraham or Moses or David or the prophets or even the church. There's a tendency for us in in this situation of separation to be afraid and to be discouraged within this. And so God's now speaking. In fact, the phrase, do not be afraid, is used 70 times in the Old Testament. 70 times. And specifically, do not be afraid and dismayed is used 16 different times, 12 of which we find in tandem with this do not be afraid. Discouragement. Have you ever been discouraged? Where you get to a place where you go, I don't know, I can keep going. Where you lose hope and you lose heart. It's a blessing to know that God is seeking out that restoration. Do you know that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you? That the natural man by nature is not going to seek out God on his own. But it is God who seeks out the sinner, the one who is lost, and He comes to you and seeks out you for the purpose to restore you into a relationship with Him as Creator, as Lord, as Savior, and the one who loves you within this. And so within this, we see Joshua who needs encouragement. And not only just, hey, do not be dismayed, do not be discouraged, But don't be dismayed, don't be discouraged, don't be afraid. I am back going to lead you. I'm not going to abandon you. Here's the plan. Here's the encouragement. We see this this victory and a victory statement in the promise where he says, I have given AI to you. I have given the king to you. In God's economy, it's it's a situation that's already completed. And so God's going to lead Joshua into this. He's going to lead him into victory that is already there. What's different between Ai and Jericho is this. Jericho, God said, you can't have anything of the city. That's the first fruit. That belongs to me. But here in Ai, he says, no, I'm going to give the king to you. I'm going to give the city to you. And you get to take the cattle and the spoil for yourself within this. It's a promise. And, and God wants to bless His presence with a, rest, with a restored relationship. But we've got to remove that sin that entangles us. We have to. You cannot have a restored relationship with God as long as you're still entangled in sin within this. In Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 and 32, it says this, For the Lord will not reject forever, for if He causes grief, note, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness or chesed. When God disciplines us or allows us to go into a trial or a tribulation, you think of Job, for example. Job wasn't disciplined by God. But God allowed the difficulty in Job's life. And Job's like, how long is this going to go on? How long am I going to grieve over these things? 
Lamentation says it's not forever that God is going to bring about a blessing based on His loving kindness, His chesed within that. You may feel like you're in this place of, of struggling. You may feel discouraged or, or, or afraid or abandoned or, or frozen or whatever the case is because of life circumstances. God says, stop. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Deal with the issues that are before you and let's move forward within this. Why? Because He's going to guide you. Verses 3-13, through God gives to Joshua the plan. I love this because in the initial attack of Ai, what was one of Joshua's failure points? One of Joshua's failure points was this. He assumed that he could handle the battle on his own. He listened to his spies who said only send 3,000 people. And he didn't consult God. And he didn't take the ark in ahead of time. And so he failed. He made a bad assumption. Sometimes we assume on God and sometimes we get ahead. But in the restoration, God says, I will give you another blessing. So you have the blessing of presence. You have the blessing of encouragement, and now you have the blessing of guidance. The whole battle plan belonged to the Lord. If you remember, originally, before he came into the land, Joshua had a little meeting with the commander of the Lord's army. And he said, I'm in charge. And we've got to remember that. God's in charge. And so, Joshua stumbled. And now he's standing back and God says, I'm going to give you the blessing of guidance. Here's how you're going to fight this battle within this. You're going to take the whole nation. The whole nation. And you're going to set up special forces. If you're a military guy who likes battles, this is a battle. This is not the passively walking around the walls seven times with the ark. This is, we're going to war. We're going to war. We're not, and, and we can make this assumption that God's going to do the same thing the same way all the time. He doesn't. He says, separate 30,000 special forces. They're going to set up an ambush. And there's going to be a contingent of 5,000 and 25,000 that's even separate within that group. And Joshua, you're going to take the whole army. And you're going to approach this city and you're going to set up this ambush. And you're going to draw the king out based off of his pride. God is going to use the pride of the king to go against him. To give you an idea of what it looks like, I want to show you the map. So this is Jericho here. This was Gilgal, the campsite. They came in from here. Now, what would happen is Joshua would take his forces and all the people go up to Ai into this area. Bethel is right here. Pay attention to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We're going to see this map again in Shechem. But here's Ai. The plan is Joshua is going to take his whole unit and put it in front of Ai within this. And the forces are going to come in behind on the west side of Ai. And they're going to hide in this mountain range here. These are the plains this flat spot that is in there. Joshua, you're going to come out and you're going to be bait with the whole nation within this. It's God's intention to be able to bring them out. 
And the promise that he says to Joshua in the blessing of encouragement is, I will deliver them into your hand. Now, I would love it if God would be that clear with things in my life. Wouldn't it? God, I got this problem and I don't know what to do. And I really, I really messed it up last time. I don't know that I can do this. And God would say, okay, Carrie, here is plan A, plan B, plan C. Here's what I want you to do step by step. This is what you're going to do. And it is guaranteed to succeed. I would love it if you would give me just this written plan. But the New Testament church walks a little bit differently. We walk by faith, not by what? Sight. We are led by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So what do we need to do? We need to pause and reflect and listen to the Spirit of God that indwells in us. We also have the Word of God that's before us. As we're going to see in a moment, how important it is to give heed to the reading of the Word. God is not the God that does everything the same, but He changes it up. And He gives this promise. In Jeremiah 29.11 it says this, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not calamity, to give you a future and hope. These plans are already written in eternity. Do you realize that? God's got this overarching plan for your life, and it's already written into eternity, and it's a a plan for blessing. Now, can we undermine that blessing? Sure. When we lean on our own understanding. When we don't do things the way that God wants us to do. So, what do we do when we find ourselves frustrated, discouraged, lost? We seek the Lord. He'll be found. We go to Him and say, God, what do you want me to do? We don't take our plan and say, God, bless this mess. We go to God and say, what is it that you want to do so I don't end up in a mess within this? And so Joshua, the commander, is reminding the people in the briefing. And so he has this military briefing with the people that he received the command from the Lord. And so now he's got this military briefing. And he says to them, now remember, do everything that the Lord says to do. No freelancing. One of the things in, in uh, fire service I think is super important to understand. And in any, any type of application, freelancing gets you in trouble. If there's a command structure, you want to be in that command structure. But but when you freelance, you get in trouble and you put other people in trouble. There is no freelancing. And we think about this spiritual journey. Joshua says, no freelancing. You do everything the way that God commanded. Why? What happened to Achan? He freelanced. And he brought sin into the camp. And he messed up. We need to be able to understand that God has this plan. And when He gives a plan, we need to follow it to the letter. And understand that God has a reason for everything that He does, even though we don't understand it within this. So He gives the battle plan. He gives the instructions. He gives it to them. And He says, everyone's going to participate. Which is different than the first battle, isn't it? Think about it. Why did God want everybody to participate in the battle? So they would all have ownership in the battle. They got skin in the game. But two, it creates personal testimony. It creates personal testimony. 
and personal confidence in watching what God would do. First-hand knowledge. To be able to see what God does. It's imperative that we have that first-hand knowledge and that first-hand information because it builds our faith. AI was, was going to be a traditional battle. It would have been much easier for God to say, hey, look, it only take 3,000, take the ark, walk around AI seven times. We're going to do it like before. But that doesn't build faith. And it doesn't build ownership. And God's not going to continue because they've got a lot of other cities that they have to take. God's not going to do the same thing the same way within them. In verses 11-13, Joshua recaps the whole battle plan again for the battle groups. And then he sends them off to take their place. In Psalms 125, 1 and 2, it says this. For those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. You know what's not movable? God. The same way a mountain is not movable. Mount Zion, when we go to Israel, we go to Mount Zion. We see the Mount of Olives. We see Mount Moriah. We see Mount Hermon. We'll drive by Gerizim and we'll see Ebal and we see all of these different mountains. We'll go to Mount Nebo. And the same mountains that were there during this time are the same mountains today. Why? They're immovable. And the psalmist says, the same way that these mountains are immovable, so is God not movable. And He surrounds His people. When you feel like, man, I don't know. God, I don't know. Is it going to work? It absolutely will work. Why? Because God said it will. And we can trust in that. So we have the, the, the blessing of presence. We have the blessing of encouragement. We have the blessing of guidance. And then we have the blessing of power. The restoration of power within this. Verses 14 to 23, as we read through this, God gave the king and the city over to the hands of Joshua. God gave it to them. Now, question. What would have happened if Israel said, Nah, we're not going with that plan. We're going back on the other side of the river. Would they ever see the blessing of power? What were they missing when they fought against AI the first time? The blessing of power. That's why they lost. And God says, no, I'm going to show you power. But you're going to participate in this. You want to experience the power of God? Experiencing the power of God is not a passive action. You've got to be active. You've got to be moving. You've got to watch what God does as you are obeying Him. And the power of God will be revealed. If you're looking for the power of God and sitting in your recliner, you're not going to find it. But you've got to move and watch the power of God work. I watched the power of God bring healing to a gal two weeks ago praying for healing and had the surgery and a valve was replaced and she's healed for now permanent no because these bodies won't last forever but got a miracle 
But had she said, no, I'm not going to go into the surgery, she never would have experienced the miracle. And God gets the testimony with that. What was the miracle? Well, the miracle is this. If I can have that map back up, as they gave the battle plan, they come out of this area of Gilgal. They, they come out of Jericho because they remember they own Jericho now. And Joshua comes out and he comes to Kiribat Nessia, which is this, this modern, modern tell that is here and comes up. Bethel is here. Bethel and Ai have what's called mutual aid. Bethel was not a target city. Ai was the target city. But because they're in close proximity to, to each other, the men of Bethel are going to come out and they're going to help defend Ai within this. And they are poised here in this valley position. Now, what ended up happening was the king of Ai in his pride said, hey, we beat them once, we're going to beat them again. And look at all these people, they're just going to run scared. And Joshua tells all the people, when the king comes out from the city, run the other way. And they do. And he's running, and he's running, and he's running. And within this, all the people emptied the city. They all come out. And they're running, and they're running, and they're running, and they get to this place where the Lord tells Joshua, raise your javelin. Now, it wasn't far enough away that he would be able to see. When you look up the word javelin, there's a couple of different frames that it's used. One is that it's an actual spear. Another definition is a type of sword, a curved sword. It makes better sense to me that it was a curved sword because the reflection of that sword would be a signal to the ambush group. And the ambush group then was released to go into the city, capture the city, set the city on fire. You imagine all the troops, and Bethel had come out too. The king saw this and he thought, for sure I'm going to get this. And to turn around and see your city on fire and realize you've been had within this. The, the thing that I think is important to understand is this. That in this attack, God had this plan and it was a perfect plan. And Joshua raised his head. Can you think of another time in Scripture where that happened? Absolutely. If you want to, take a, a look back. Not right now, but you can in your notes. Look up the account of Moses fighting against the Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Genesis 17, 8 through 16. Moses in the battle against the Amalekites would raise his hands, and as long as Moses' hands were up, Israel won. But when Moses got tired and the hands went down, what happened to Israel? They started losing. So what did everybody do? Get Moses' hands up. Hold them up. But the account tells us in the same way, Joshua had raised the spear, verse 29, raised the spear, and his arm in the spear was up the whole time of the battle until they were all defeated within this. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. It was the power of God being demonstrated, not because Joshua was great, but because God's great. And the king of Ai was captured, and he was brought back to Joshua, battle over. We have the restoration blessing of presence. We have the blessing of encouragement. 
We have the blessing of guidance. And we have the blessing of power. Another restoration blessing is prosperity. Verses 24 to 29, Israel finished the battle. And they destroyed Ai just like they did Jericho. But they were given the ability to go and take the cattle and take all the possessions. Prosperity within this. All the spoils belong to the nation. God didn't keep the spoils of Ai to himself. He provided for the nation. Why? Because the nation needed the, the, the cattle. They needed the, the, the funds. They needed the resources. Why? Because they had a whole campaign for the whole land of Canaan to take over. God provided for them from these people. And he promised that. You know where he promised it? In the original battle plan, in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12, it says this. Then it shall come when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a great and splendid cities, which you didn't build, houses full of good things, which you did not fill, hewn sisters, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourselves that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. What did God say in the original battle plan? You will go in, you'll conquer the land, and you will plunder the land, and the spoil belongs to you. It's all yours. One caveat. Don't forget God. The danger of prosperity is forgetting God. The danger of gaining things is forgetting God. Or coming to the place, I did this myself. No, you didn't. God did it. And so he pronounced a blessing of prosperity upon the nation and gives to them. And Joshua finished the battle by hanging the king of Ai from a branch of a tree until he was dead. You say, well, why didn't he stone him like Achan? Because Ai was a pagan king. And it was mandated in the law that this is how this pagan king should die. Deuteronomy 21:22. If a man's committed a sin worthy of death, he's to be put to death. You're to hang him on a tree. The Jews would be stoned. Pagans would be hung on a tree. His body was taken off, put in front of the city gate, and a pile of stones there. Do you remember who else died and had a pile of stones put over him? Achan. Because Achan acted like a pagan. You got a Jewish death, pagan burial within this. You will be blessed with God's power, His presence, and His provision when He restores your life. Seek that restoration. Listen for the Word of the Lord. Listen to God speak. Now lastly, these last couple verses here in 30-35 to 35 is this. If you remember the command in the law, I will give you all of this, remember me. I will give you provision, prosperity, remember me. What does Joshua do? He obeys the law. He packs everybody up and he sends them up. If you're into Bible study and scholars and you're going, well, this is kind of weird. This is what's called a floating narrative. In verses 30 to 35, as you study this, you go, well, it kind of seems out of place. The early scholars, when they were writing and assembling these narratives together, they, they placed it here. But there is some other texts, as you'll study, that, um, that will show it in a different place. For example... 
And the Masoretic text, which is an early text, and, the, and in the scrolls that were found in Qumran, this passage actually ends up happening initially after five, between verses 5.1 and 5.2 of Joshua. In later texts, it ends up after Joshua 9. Why? Because of the mandate that was given in Deuteronomy to read this law when they got into the land within this. In Deuteronomy 27, verses 4 and 5, it says this, So it will be when you cross the Jordan, you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones, as I am commanding you this day, and you shall coat them with lime. Moreover, you will build an altar there to the Lord your God, an altar of stones, and you shall not wield an iron tool upon them. So in Moses, in giving the plan of entrance and the battle plan, he says, when you cross the Jordan, you're going to go to Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, you're to build an altar, cover it with lime, and you're going to write the word of God on there. They hadn't done that yet. So the early scholars would say, well, they should have done it. So we think it happened when they first got into the land. The later text tells us that, that it was there. Does it really matter? No. They did it. To me, logic says this makes more sense to be in this narrative. Why? Because Joshua needs to remind people of the Word of God. So he goes from, if I can have that map again. So he goes from Ai, right here, past Bethel, all the way up to Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal to Shechem. From the base of this mountain, this valley, is only 500 yards between those two mountains. They're not very big. Um, I don't know, did I put a picture in there, Trudy? I did, and I forgot the picture, I'm sorry. When you look at Shechem, it's a small city that sits in between these two valleys. They're only 500 yards apart. Joshua, according to the law, brings them out to this, into this land, and he builds an altar. Abraham originally built an altar in Shechem, this little city that's there, Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, within this. And there he sacrificed a burnt offering, and there he sacrificed a peace offering. What was the burnt offering for? The sacrifice for sins. Exodus chapter 29, verse 18. You shall offer up and smoke the whole ram in the altar. It is a burial, it is a burnt offering to the Lord as a soothing aroma and offering for fire to the Lord. So the burnt offering was for atonement. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 4. He shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted to him and make atonement for his behalf. So I want you to picture this. He takes everybody out, stops the fighting. He travels 20 miles to the north to Shechem. Builds an altar out of stones, uncut, stacks them, offers a burn offering that covers the sins, and then he offers a peace offering. The peace offering was there to be a, an offering, a fellowship that offering, and you can read about it in Leviticus 3, 1 through 17. Burn offering is totally unto God. The peace offering is a holy barbecue. You say, well, what is that? Well, you, you place the offering on there and then you sit around and God gets his part and you get to eat the rest. Which is kind of a cool thing. It's kind of what happened with Jericho and Ai. Jericho, God got everything. Ai, they shared it. 
In the offering of the sacrifice, their sins were atoned for. It was the first time that it was there, and the people were put on the side. What else happened? They got stones, covered it with lime, and Joshua copied all of the law on this. Now, can you imagine all the people, however many there were, the whole nation is all standing around while all this is happening and they're camped out. You think standing for 35 verses is much. They were there for days to be able to do this, to have this sacrifice and this offering within this. And so, out of this victory, they're responding to God with worship. But they're also responding in devotion. Deuteronomy 17:18 says, Now it shall come about when he, speaking of a king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write a, for himself a copy of the law, on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It was God's mandate that every leader for the nation of Israel would write out the law for himself. Why? Why do you think he would want leaders to write the law out? So they would know it. So they would know it for themselves. Why do I have you stand as we read all of the passage? So you will know it for yourself. It's important that you know it for yourself. Psalm 119.11 says this, Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Resilience, spiritual resilience, is going to be grounded on the word of God being active in your life. And the last thing that we see within this passage is this. Joshua responded in obedience. Now he separated the tribes. Six went on one mountain. Six went on the other. Basically, they were at the foot of the mountains. They didn't go up on top. Joshua read all the blessings, all the blessings for Mount Gerizim. And after every blessing that was read out of Deuteronomy, all the people agreed and said, Amen. And then at Mount Ebal, he read all the curses if they disobeyed the law, and all the people said, Amen. This was the first time that the law was read since Moses for all the people in the land. Why? Because going forward in the conquest, it was going to be the word of God that was going to guide them. It was going to be that blessing that was there. The restoration and the blessing of restoration hinges on the word of God guiding your life. God wants to restore you. He'll restore you with His presence. He'll restore you with His encouragement. He'll restore you with His His guidance. He'll restore you with His power. He'll restore you with prosperity. But don't forget the Word of God. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You've given us this, this example of Joshua and how it applies to our life today. God, that we can come before You and we can honor You with our presence, but more importantly, we need to honor You with our whole life. And Lord, I know there are people here today that may be a little downcast, a little discouraged, feeling like that there are situations in their life that have tarnished them, that is inhibiting them from moving forward or overcoming. God, You are not the God of the rearview mirror but the windshield. You want us looking forward, forgetting those things that have passed, looking forward and pressing on to that high mark of the Lord Jesus Christ.
May we do that. And remember these blessings that you have set aside for us to be encouraged, to know your presence, your power, your prosperity. And may we never forget your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and close. This closing song is a song of blessing. I've heard it many times. I encourage you, it's to be sung to one another. So I encourage you to turn to the person that's next to you and sing this song to them. And let's bless each other in the name of the Lord as we go. Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. 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 His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May His favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and your children and your children. May His presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening. In your coming and your going, in your weeping and rejoicing, He is for you, 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 He is for you. blessing of the Lord, the power of His might, the guidance of His Spirit, 
and experience a great, great journey of life and faith. Until that day He calls you home. For until the day He returns, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We thank You and we praise You for this morning. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. And praise Jesus. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.